All right, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Welcome to December. Uh, we are officially kicking off uh, the Christmas season here at Peninsula Grace. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a Christmas series. Uh, but to start here, anybody here, raise your hand if you love receiving presents. All right, be honest. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. These are the greedy ones. All right. Now we know who the greedy ones are uh, amongst us. But no, if you, if you, listen, if you have a pulse uh, and you're a human being, which is, covers most of you, um, we, we love getting presents, but in particular, and we deal with greediness, that's another topic for another sermon, but today, particularly, one of the things that we love is unwrapping presence, right? Like there is this, this moment, there's something specifically amazing and awesome about unwrapping a gift. It could be a roll of toilet paper, but if it has wrapping paper and a bow on it, all of a sudden it's Christmas toilet paper, right? And there is this, this, this moment, this half second, as you are unwrapping the present and you're asking yourself, what is this going to be? And you're anticipating this potential for euphoria. What we're hoping for is to have the expression that this kid has. As he's opening his Nintendo 64, right? That dates me, but I want to look like this kid on Christmas morning. Amen? And so what we have, and what we're actually going to see today, is that you and I were created for a sense of wonder. There is a way in which God does want and has created us for having this expression on our faces as his creation. But what we're going to see today is that it's not in physical gifts, ultimately. What we're going to do this Christmas series, we're calling this series Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. And what we're going to look, my prayer is that you and I, over the next few weeks, will experience the joy of discovering who Jesus is, in particularly through the names that God gave us, revealing to us about who Jesus is in the book of Isaiah uh, chapter 9. Now, we were putting, as we go through this series, we're going to get fancy, and up on these wooden panels, uh, each name as we walk through it, we're going to put the name up. So we got wonderful. We tried tape first service. They fell down. So now we're learning. We're getting better. Now we got them held up by paper clips. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll just see if the Lord moves or how he moves. Um, if you... Um, if you, would, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can go to Isaiah, but we will have the verses up on the screen. Um, but to give you a little background here, Isaiah was a prophet. And a prophet is a spokesman speaking for God. And so he is telling from the voice of God, he is telling the people of Israel about two things that God wants them to know about. Judgment and hope. Judgment and, and hope. Now, Israel is the audience Isaiah is speaking to. And at the time that he's writing, there are people living in spiritual darkness. The reason they're living in that darkness is because of their own disobedience. Israel broke the covenant that, that God had made with them, that they had agreed to, to obey his law. And because they were breaking that law continually, God eventually said there's going to be punishment, just like he had promised them, that will come from the breaking of this law. And so we see that there was this empire at the time called Assyria. And the nation of Assyria was taking over most of the known world, and they started to oppress and capture the people of Israel. Now this was their just deserts, right? They, they deserved this punishment because of their lawlessness, their sinfulness. But in the midst of this dark time for Israel... Isaiah the prophet steps in, not just speaking of judgment, but speaking of hope. And he comes to Israel, and he's squinting off into the darkness, and he says, look with me. I know right now all you can see is darkness, but I'm here to tell you from God that there is a light that's coming. And in Isaiah chapter 9, 
He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, we can resonate with that, amen, a light will shine. You will enlarge, this is, God, this is God's work, you, God, will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. There's joy coming. They will rejoice before you as people, at, as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. Why? For you will break the yoke of slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be all will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. His oppression is about to be lifted. There's hope coming to be freed from this empire of Assyria. Now, how is this deliver, uh, deliverance coming? Next verse. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Prince, or Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For his, gover his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. He says a rescuer is coming to bring light into the darkness. Now, particularly, the one who's coming, it says a child is born, a son is given to us. The one that's going to release them from this oppression is a baby boy. Now, in Israel, having a kid, in particular, having a baby boy was a big stinking deal. There was a lot of celebration going on, a lot of partying because of the baby boy, and I'm, I'm sorry to say, uh, but it was particularly sons, okay? Sorry, ladies. But it was the son that would receive the family name, the inheritance, and the land. They got a lot more excited about the boys than the girls. This was a man's world, just how it was, okay? But a son already being excited to have a son, a son who was royalty? Look at what he says. This son, a government will rest on his shoulders. This wasn't just going to be any son. This was going to be a king. And they're going to roll out the red carpet and celebrate this baby boy coming as, as king. This was not just any king. This was the promised coming Messiah. Now, now, these people at the time, they knew that there was this king coming to rescue them from their enemies. But they didn't know a lot about who this person would be. And we look back through the Old Testament, they knew some things. They knew this deliverer was going to come to defeat sin and death. Remember in the garden, he's going to crush the head of the serpent, defeating Satan and his powers. They knew that he'd come through the line of Abraham. They knew that this would be an Israelite of their own people. That through this Israelite, this Messiah, all nations on the world, in the world would be blessed. That's what God had told Abraham. They knew in chapter 49 of Genesis that this deliverer would specifically come through the line of Judah. And then even more specifically from Judah, he'd be the branch of, of Jesse, the line of David, an eternal king who would rule forever, like we just read in Isaiah 9, coming from the throne of, of David. And then we also know, this is just hot off the press, two chapters earlier in Isaiah 7, that this Messiah would be born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. But as Isaiah, as he's talking about this light coming into the darkness, wants to shed a little bit more light on who this Messiah would be and tell us a little bit about him. So he tells us, his name shall be called. Talks about his name. Now, in, again, with Israel, names were a huge deal. Like today, we flip through a baby book and we're looking at just like cute names that kind of rhyme or, you know, might come from one of them. But like, this is more than just like, oh, Emmanuel, that sounds cute. 
Names carried weight. They carried significance. Sometimes it talked about the, cir the circumstances at the birth of a child. You remember the story of Esau and Jacob? What was Esau's name? His name meant Harry, right? That's nice. And then he became the nation of Edom, which means red. Why did they call him that? Because when he popped out, he was a furry little ginger. And so they knew we're going we're to call him Esau. It means hairy, red-headed kid. And then Jacob comes out literally grabbing onto Jacob's heel. So they called him Jacob, which meant heel grabber. And he also grew up to be a shyster. And that's why his name also meant deceiver. So these names, they talked about who the person was. And sometimes God would change names to indicate future blessing and prophecy. Like when he said, Abram, your name will now be called Abraham. That meant father of many. You're going to become a father of many people. And that's true, right? I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. He became the father of many nations. So these names, they carry, they carry import. And, and when we look at the name that is released here about who this Messiah was to be, it's interesting because actually we see kind of with the commas, we see four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But really, in the Hebrew, it was just kind of one long word. And that's why, in the, it's actually when it says his name shall be called, the Hebrew there for name was singular. It's not here are his names, and you can just use one and then use another one at different times. It was just here's one long run-on uh, name for Jesus. So, you know, if, if we did this for, for me, because uh, I'm just a narcissist, uh, this would be my name. Pastor, handsome, basketball fan, sarcastic, substitute teacher, waddling hips, right? So that's, that's me, right? That's just one long compound name that describes the glory of your lead pastor, right? So, so but even if you can imagine more glorious than, than that, this name, they say it's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is his name. This describes not that necessarily he's going to be called these things, but these are, these are descriptors of who this coming Messiah will be. Now this morning we're going to look in particular at the word wonderful. And you see it there coupled with wonderful counselor. And it could be that it was describing he's a wonderful counselor. But again, each of these words were kind of strung out individually. And they say that if it was the, the Hebrew grammar, if it actually was supposed to be an adjective, it would have been worded a little bit differently, not to go really nerdy on you. But most likely, if you have a King James Version, it actually says wonderful, comma, counselor, comma. They were two different descriptors. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. Because he's wonderful, and he's a counselor, and he's a wonderful counselor. All right? So the point is, back off, we're just using the word wonderful. All right? Um, so the word, the word wonderful that we're going to look at this morning, it comes from the Hebrew word Pele. Now, if you're a soccer fan, this is not the guy from Brazil. This is not what it's being described here. The word Pele meant marvelous, extraordinary, or hard to understand. So the word wonderful meant. Now, oftentimes, you know what we do in English? We can kind of take things, like we'll take a word like amazing and just strip it of all its meaning. And we say, that man, that pizza was amazing. Like, and we'll also use the same word about God. So a lot of times today, we use wonderful just to kind of mean lovely or pleasant. I had tea with grandmother, and it was wonderful, right? Well, I'm sure you had a nice time with grandma, but it doesn't fit the description. Because this word here literally meant incomprehensible. It would boggle the mind, okay? And as great as tea was with grandma, it was not exploding your brain, right? You're able to comprehend tea with grandma, right? The word meant something that you would admire or be astonished by, and it was often in a reference to an act or a miracle of God. In fact, it wasn't just a descriptor, wonderful. It would often be used to talk about the acts that God performed. And Psalm 77 is an example of that. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders. 
the astonishing miracles that you've performed of old. That's what that word can mean. And what we're going to see this morning in this name of Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus, we're going to see a couple of things we want to look at. First of all, you and I were created for a sense of wonder. We have wonder, lust. But then what we're going to see is that through the fall, through the fall, we have misplaced and lost our sense of wonder, wonder lost. But finally, through a Jesus-paved path, there is a way to have true wonder restored. We'll see how we can be wonderful once again. So let's, let's walk through this together. First of all, wonder, lust. The old philosopher Plato, he said it this way, wonder is the impulse that probes, investigates, and seeks out explanations. He says it's that drive within us that wants to discover, that wants to figure out how, how things work. Ravi Zacharias, uh, a modern-day um, apologist, he said that it's a balance. Wonder is a balance of enchantment and reality. Enchantment and reality, he explains. Wonder is that possession of the mind that enchants the emotions while never surrendering reason. So this is what he's saying. What we want to do innately is we want to discover the, thing, the way things really are, but then we want to be blown away by it. We want to be astonished. We want to be left in awe and wonder of what really is. There's a drive in each of us to discover that. And you know that when you hand your child a toy. And many times, they will just destroy it. And why do they do that? Because they want to see how it ticks. They have that probing desire to want to know, how does this thing work? And for their minds to be blown by it. It's why we love stories like the Chronicles of Narnia. We want to step into these worlds and explore and discover the enchantment and the reality. It's the same thing when we look up in the sky and we see this jet soaring and we look at the power and the beauty and the design and we go, how in the world is that hunk of metal staying in the sky and screaming across like it is? Leaves us in wonder. This is the drive, that, that, it's that, that, that touch, that touch of a romantic hand that just makes us wish that time would stand still. It's the musical score that grips the soul. Why do things affect us like this? Why, why are we so fascinated by them? And why do we hunger so deeply for them? Well, I believe it's because the Bible tells us we were created for this kind of wonder. Psalm 65 says it this way, Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. It says we were created to stand in awe of God and his creation. Ravi, uh, again, he says, our sense of wonder is a blessing from God. This is a good gift from God that we have wonder. It's given so that we would be continually amazed at his beauty and his creation. We were made for this. We were made for this. In fact, we know this from observing little babies. My, my nephew, or excuse me, my niece, got that right? Uh, Maggie May was born just a month ago, and she loves it when you blow in her face. You've done this before. You blow into a baby's face, and they're just like, they're kind of horrified because you're pressing them, but they also love it. And she essentially looks like this little baby right here, uh, except for the fact that she's not Asian. Um, so w- w- babies love being delighted and in- being left in wonder. We also know this about children. Um, I'm a substitute teacher, and one of the most terrifying places on the planet for a substitute teacher is the kindergarten classroom. And you, you laugh, but you haven't been in there. <laughs> you have seen things that I can never unsee. And you walk in there, and, and these kids are cra- crazy right? Like just trying to transition them from um, sit-down time at your desks to the mat um, is, is absolute anarchy. 
It is snot, tears, and goldfish everywhere. It is just craziness. But the thing that I love about the kindergartners is they still have their sense of wonder. That, that you can come alongside a kindergartner and make an animal noise, and they think you are the funniest person on the planet. Like a moo brings them to hysterics. I'm comedic genius when I'm in the kindergarten classroom. Or if I look at them, I give them a stern look, like they start to wet themselves. And I'm like, don't do that because I don't know how to help you, right? But you can just do that by looking at them like, and, and now, not that I, I'm, I'm really nice to your kids, don't worry. Um, and then like you're reading them a story and, and, and all of a sudden what they are gripped, it's like they've entered into that storybook with you and there's awe and wonder from every sentence that you read, right? Tell us more about the hungry, hungry caterpillar. We can't wait to hear but you walk down to the other end of the elementary school, to the sixth graders. Try those same farm animal noises on them, and they think you're insane, right? You give them a stern look, and they look right back at you, and you are, right? They, are not, they, have, they have lost, they are losing, they're in the process of losing that sense of wonder. And Ravi, one last quote from him, he says this, the tragedy with growing up is not that we lose childishness in its simplicity, it's not that, I mean, of course, we're going to grow in knowledge and wisdom and hopefully in maturity. He says that's not the problem of getting older. Here's the tragedy. It's that we lose childlikeness in its sublimity. That word means delight or to have that sense of wonder. He says the tragedy is as we grow up, we lose that sense of wonder that God created us to have. And, and we know this, that every person, I mean, we're all a case study of this. We're all looking for wonder right? We're all looking for something that's real, but also enchants us, delights us, leaves us in awe. And so we search for pleasure, for meaning. We search for it in jobs and families and other relationships. We search for it in money and entertainment, but we keep coming up short. So why do we lose that sense of wonder, and where is it that we can find this? Talk about how wonder got lost. See, here, here's the rub. We said that as you grow older, you, you gain knowledge, right? But with, but with knowledge, wonder dies, Wonder dies with knowledge. The more you get to know something, the less astonished you are by it. Reality, and we're talking about things under the sun here, reality is never as good as fantasy. Reality is never as good as fantasy. What could be, the possibilities of what could be, is always greater than what is. As we turn the corner here to head toward Christmas, we all know this. Growing up as a kid, I couldn't sleep the night before Christmas. As I'm sitting there, staring wide-eyed at the ceiling, I'm thinking about all the possibilities of what could be under that tree for Justin, right? And the next morning, as I open those presents, no matter what I got, it's never going to live up to the delight of anticipation. It could be the greatest gift imaginable. You could be getting everything on your wish list or even things better than what you could have even thought of putting on your Gifster app. I recommend that. It's a cool app, by the way. Um, but... Let's say, that, I mean, let's say you got an Xbox or whatever they are making these days for the kids and you open it and you're so excited about it. Eventually, whatever shiny object was under that tree, it will eventually get old and boring and broken and the better one's coming next year. Nothing under the sun will bring us the sense of wonder that we're looking at. The problem with life is that, man, no matter what we achieve or attain, we still find ourselves burrowing deeper, looking for more, something to satisfy us. Solomon calls it a chasing of the wind because it's done in vanity. We're not finding the wonder we're looking for. So why have we lost our sense of wonder? 
I believe the Bible tells us because we've been looking for it in all the wrong places. And we're looking at artificial substitutes to wonder at. Psalm 115 talks about this. The, the, the language they use here is an idol. Oh, this was a kid getting bummed out about a sweater on Christmas morning. Poor kid. Uh, their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, throats but cannot make a sound. Talking about these idols that we create. They're inanimate. And then ultimately, and this is the convicting part, those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So what it's saying is when when we look for ultimate wonder in anything other than our God, we're going to start to become like that thing that we're worshiping. This is a principle for for all of us. Whatever you worship, whatever you behold, you start to become like it. And so it says if you're worshiping anything other than God, if you're looking for wonder in anything other than God, you'll eventually become like that thing and you're going to become deaf and dumb and blind. And it will not leave you astonished or in awe at all. You see, God made us, and I want you to hear me on this, God made us to wonder at his creation. That's why he made it for us. But the problem is, if we don't see those created things leading us to the creator himself, delighting in him, in the giver, not the gifts, in the creator, not the creation, we will be disappointed in those things. And so for our wonder to be fulfilled, it's got to be in something that's bigger and greater than us right? It's got to be something that's outside of our minds that we can't exhaust, figure out, and sum up. And that's only going to be found in one place in all of the universe. For us to find full wonder, it's got to be in one location. See, like we've been saying, in order for something to be wonderful, it's got to be something beyond what we can do, right? It's got to seem like a miracle, something that, that that I could never pull off, So there's lots of things that you can do that I'm not in wonder at. If you come up here and eat a sandwich in front of me, that doesn't impress me, right? So what? I can eat a sandwich. But I love one of the things I love doing, I love watching sports. And one of the reasons I love it is because of the awe and wonder I have of watching these athletes. I remember this years ago, this guy named Vince Carter in um, for the USA basketball. Watch this, he jumps over a seven-foot-tall Frenchman. Now I don't know about you, but I can't jump over seven feet tall Europeans, right? and dunk a basketball. That leaves me in awe and wonder. That's incredible. My hips can't even crisscross applesauce, right? Let alone dunk over a Frenchman. That's amazing. That leaves me in awe and wonder. Or, or maybe, you see, magicians are trying to do this all the time. When, when, when David Copperfield, when he, when he took away the sta- Statue of Liberty, we're all like, and what do you always say at the end of a magician's trick if it's good? How'd he do that? right? It leaves us in awe and wonder in something that we couldn't have pulled off by ourselves. But true, satisfying, everlasting awe can only be found in the God of wonders himself. Because eventually we figure the magic trick out. Eventually we get to the end of the rainbow. You see, it's only the God of wonders that can truly leave us in awe Because God is the only one who can do things that we can't do, to be things that we could never be. We see this um, in in Exodus 15, where it says, who is like you among the the gods? 
O Lord? Who, who, who's like you? There's, there's no one else in the universe like you. Glory, glorious and holiness. That word holiness means set apart, other. God is transcendent of any other person. He's perfect in the way that none of us else are perfect, wonderful in the ways that none of us are wonderful. And he says, awesome and splendor. You leave us in awe of your splendor, performing great wonders. This God does things that you and I could never do. You realize he made this entire universe by a word. None of us can pull that off. This is a God who could part the Red Sea. A God who could make giant walls crumble because someone was tooting on a horn. A God who can make the sun stand still by his word. This is a God who can do things, who can be things that you and I could never be and never do. And so he leaves us in awe and wonder. Isaiah 25, O Lord, I will honor and praise your name. You deserve all the glory. Why? For you are my God. You're unlike anybody else. You do such wonderful things. You do things that astonish me, that amaze me, that are incomprehensible to my little human brain. You planned them long ago, and now you've accomplished them. You do them, like you said you would. And finally, Psalm 33, 8, let the whole world fear the Lord. Why? Because he is one who's worthy to be stood in awe of. Let the, everyone stand in awe of him. Stand in awe of him. In the context of of Isaiah chapter 9, to get us full circle, there is this wonderful miracle that this Messiah, this promised one, the son child that was given to the people of Israel was going to perform. A specific thing that he came to do that would be wonderful. See, the Messiah was, was told, that it was said that he was going to come and reign and rule. It's the terminology they use. Bringing peace, and, and imagine, we, we live in a country where it's hard for us to relate to this, but these people for hundreds of years have known nothing but war and death and loss, and slavery, and oppression. And he says, this Messiah is going to come, and he's going to bring you freedom, and he's going to bring you peace. What else would they want, right? Light into a dark world. Now, it would have been quite a wonder, quite an, a miracle, if there was this, this leader that could come and, and bring tiny little Israel out of the oppression of this enormous, all-encompassing over the known world army of the Assyrian Empire. That would be wonderful. That would be amazing. But here's the deal. There was a much greater wonderful miracle that this Messiah was coming to do. You see, the ultimate problem wasn't Assyria, was it? That's not their ultimate enemy. Just like it wouldn't be Babylon, it wouldn't be Greece, it wouldn't be Rome. And today, for us, it's not a government. It's not another person. The reason tyranny and oppression exist is not because of sinful rulers and sinful kingdoms, but because of the sinful heart and sinful men and women. And so Israel, what they ultimately need liberation from, what you and I ultimately need liberation from, is ourselves. From our own sin. And that's exactly the miracle that this wonderful Messiah came to perform. The greatest miracle in the history of the universe to save us from ourselves and on a dark night in Bethlehem the star of wonder the star of light star of royal beauty bright came into this dark world to guide us to the perfect light shown into the darkness a, a child is born a son is given and his name will be called Wonderful. And he'll step into this world of, of bondage to sin, of violence to one another. And he, and he comes to bring freedom and peace. 
The perfect light shone. What an astonishing, wonderful miracle. Jesus is the one that we are to stand in awe of. And look at, what, look at what the Bible says about this wonderful Jesus that came to earth. Hebrews 1 says this, Through the Son, he created the universe. This is something to be in awe of. Jesus, it says, is the one through whom God created everything. The Word, through a Word, created everything that could ever be seen. That's amazing. That's something that you and I can't do. That's something to stand in awe of. But then beyond that, not just did he create everything, the spirit being, it says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Our minds cannot comprehend how an infinite God got wrapped up into skin and bone and came to this earth to walk amongst us. God in flesh. And it says here, he was the radiation, the way that you could see. You want to see the glory of God? Look at Jesus. And that Jesus was carrying in him the very image. He is God. If you want to know who God is and what he looks like, you look no further than the person of Jesus. That is wonderful. That is something we can't comprehend. And for 33 years, as Jesus walked this earth, he left people with their jaws on the floor, amazed at who he was and what he was doing. It was a 33-year mic drop. This is what he was doing leaving people in awe. His birth amazed people. He was born of a virgin. You do the math, right? You and I can't pull that off. This is amazing. This is, this is wonderful. At the age of 12, before Jesus even had acne, he was in the temple, blowing the minds of these teachers. Who is this? This is the carpenter's son? How is he speaking about these things? He's like Beethoven with a Torah. Like, who is this kid? And as he walked around this earth, he amazed people by the kind of teaching that he taught, by the kind of life that he lived, by the miracles. Jesus is walking on water. He's healing the sick. He's turning water into wine. He's casting out demons. He's raising the dead. And people are continually astonished by this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And you would think, you'd think that the Jews would have embraced this Messiah, this wonderful Messiah that's come to relieve them from their oppression. But they didn't. See, they didn't like this wonderful light exposing their terrible darkness. They rejected his claims as God, calling him a blasphemer and calling for his head. But this led to his one final act, right? This was not beyond the scope of God's sovereign plan. He had saved the best for last, the most wonderful miracle. When they nailed him to a cross, the wonderful cross, Jesus can make even an execution be something that is wonderful. And three days later, and this wasn't a sleight of hand, this wasn't an illusion like the Statue of Liberty disappearing, he did not stay in the grave. Jesus rose again, and he lives today. The greatest miracle ever performed. In fact, his murder at the hands of the Jews and Romans was actually part of God's plan to pay for our sins and to give us this new life, this righteous life that would please God, that could reunite us into a relationship with him. The only way we could be reunited into a relationship with him. And this should leave us in awe and wonder because it's something you and I could never do. This is beyond our human capability. We cannot save ourselves. We had to have somebody else. We needed a savior, a rescuer, a Messiah. And he came and he did what we could never do. And he reunited us with the God of wonders. So as we, the next couple weeks, as we look at the person of Jesus, 
I want us to marvel at him and to be left in awe and wonder of this Jesus. But maybe this morning, as you come in here, I'm going to ask you, have you lost your sense of wonder? Maybe you had it. Maybe when you were younger, when you were, a belie- you were first saved, you were excited, you wanted to share this Jesus with everybody, but then as you grew older, just like those sixth graders, you started to lose your sense of wonder. And somewhere along the line, your love grew cold. And what used to be exciting is just ordinary and routine, or maybe even worse. Take a moment and just ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? Why is that sense of wonder that I used to have about God, used to have about Jesus, was it, where did it go? And why did it go away? If you're bored of life, if you just find yourself kind of drifting, this meaningless, purposeless existence, perhaps, perhaps, the root problem, I do believe the root problem is we've been worshiping the wrong things. And what did Psalm 115 tell us? Those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. If we're worshiping anything other than God, we will not find the wonder that he created us for. We will find nothing but purposelessness and dullness. So what do we do? How do we restore our wonder in the person of Jesus? Well, if we become what we behold, let me ask you, what are you beholding? How are you spending your time? What are you putting in front of your eyeballs? What are you putting into your brain? What are you thinking about? Where are you placing your energy? You're going to become like the things that you give value to. A principle that, that God wanted to share through the prophet Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah, he said this, if you look for me, Here's a condition. If you look for me, not just if you look for me, if you look for me how? If you look for me wholeheartedly. If you press in with everything, if you push all the chips in, if you pursue me with everything that you have, here's the promise. You will find me. If you look for me, you'll find me. So, so here, here's what he's saying. Man, if, if we earnestly seek for Jesus as our treasure, if we saturate ourselves with Jesus, if we're into the word every day, learning more and more about mining these truths. And we're placing ourselves into a community of other believers who come alongside us and encourage us and point us back to this wonderful Jesus. We pursue him with all of our hearts. The promise is you will find him and you will find the wonder in him that you were created for. But here's the rub. Our sinful hearts don't seek for him. There are none who seek after God. This is why what God told Jeremiah before this word, a couple chapters earlier, he says, so here's what I'm going to do. Because nobody's ever going to seek me. He says, I will give them, now he's talking to Israel, this is a prophecy that applies to us today, I will give them hearts, I will give them the hearts that they never, we needed a heart transplant. Our hearts will never seek for God. So he says, I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. With what heart? The new heart that God gave them. So our old sinful hearts elevate self, not God. So God steps in, and he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you the very breath in our lungs, like we sang earlier today. I'm going to give you the Spirit of God, the new heart of Jesus inside of you, and that's a heart that seeks for me. Just like we saw Jesus depending on God and seeking him in this earthly existence. And that's the new heart we have in us as believers. One that seeks for God and one that finds wonder in him and him alone. We need a heart transplant, and that's salvation. So this Christmas, I ask us to reawaken our hearts, the new hearts that Jesus gives us, that God gives us. To see this wonderful Jesus, to unwrap this unending, all-satisfying wonder 
but it can only happen through the cross. And my prayer for us is that we would not, man, we have, I mean, I've been preaching six or seven years. It gets tiring after a little while going, okay, how do we come at a Christmas series with a new angle, you know, and how many years we've spent with the nativity scenes and the same Christmas songs. And it is easy to start to lose the sense of wonder. That's because our hearts have wandered and worshiped something else. So I want to make this, this song, I love this song, it's called May I Never Lose the Wonder. And I want us to make this our prayer this morning. We're going to read it together and then I'm going to try to sing it. You can sing it with me. Because solos are awkward. We want, we, want to read, we want to read this word and make this our prayer. Make this our prayer. That God would, would reawaken our hearts and give us the sense of wonder at who Jesus is, what he accomplished for us on the cross, and then what he gave us in his resurrection. We're going to sing, the last song we're going to sing today is resurrection power. He has given each of us a power to wonder in the first place. But we've got to come asking for it. We've got to receive with open hands. So let's, let's read this together and then we'll sing it. Read this with me. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. All right, here we go. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross.